Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing today? Morning. You guys can, you guys can talk because I haven't muted you. Good morning. You. <laughs> good morning, good morning, good morning. All right. Well, welcome, welcome, and welcome. Welcome to May 3rd, okay? So we are in the second month of the second quarter of the year. Hopefully, you're exactly where you want to be goal-wise. And if you're not, you still got plenty of the year ahead of you to do that. Yo. All right, we are very fortunate today to have John Ingram from Axia Mortgage. John, are you there? I'm here. How are you, Rick? Hello, everybody. All right, good. Hold on one second. I forgot to do one thing. Hold on one second. I got to do one oh, quick thing here. <laughs> Okay, sorry, I had to mute everybody, John, and I almost made a mistake with the recording. So, John, you have to hit star six on your phone, and then we can hear you. Star six, please, and just let me know when you've done that. Okay, now I got you. There he is. Okay, John. So, John, before we get into it, just tell them a little about yourself, because some people on the call, you know, maybe you California and Arizona as well as Nevada. So, just tell them a little about yourself and what sure, you do. Sure, sure. Um... Yeah, no problem. Um, so I'm the, the one of the local market leaders for Axia Home Loans in the, the Las Vegas market. Um, I've actually been tied to the Berkshire relationship for about 18 years. Um, uh, about spent my whole career working in the realtor-facing world, and um, uh, you know, basically helped to manage the relationship between Axia and and Berkshire Hathaway. Um, we run a team of loan officers. Um, my job every day is basically uh, educating our loan officers, working with them and their problems and <laughs> little things that always mm -hmm. happen in, in mortgage financing and ultimately educating mentors and everybody I can. Yeah, and, and this, market is a, this market is <laughs> a little crazy for you, isn't it? It is. Um, it, it's, it's a rare thing. I mean, it's, there's a feverish tone to this marketplace right now. Um, and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how we find our way through it and out of it. It's, it's funny when it, it's, it's not that, you know, and I, I like the way Mark talked about this recently, Mark Stark. Um, this is not a crazy market. This is not a insane market, this sort of thing. This is the market, right? And it is right. one that is simply um, – on fast forward. That's the, that's the way I, I like to talk about it. It's not like, yeah. there's, you know, one of the things he said to me, it was, you know, there's not a, a shortage of inventory here. There, there's, I mean, you look at the Las Vegas market, we typically do 32, 3,500 transactions a month. We did 5,000 last month. That's not because of a lack of inventory because the unit right. transactions would be down, right? We're just moving yeah. a heck of a lot faster. And it's, it's creating it's creating a lot of sort of uncertainty, speculation, and that sort of thing um, that is making it really interesting times. I mean, that's, uh, wow. Over the last 20 years, this mortgage and real estate has been on a roller coaster ride. You know, we've seen different, different, um, different faces to this market uh, like I'd never imagined imagine between the, you know, the lows in, in 29, uh, 209, 210, um, and then all the way now back up here to where we're even higher than we were in 2006. Um, yeah. It's really, really interesting times. Yeah, and if it goes the way it goes historically, it's going to go a heck of a lot higher. So uh, put your seatbelt yep. on. And, 
And you, you, I, I can't tell you how many agents I have to talk to about that, what you just said, about what Mark says is there's no listings. No, there's plenty of listings. They're just selling fast. So That's and correct. You're right. The, the numbers are actually more. So as soon as you tell yourself, well, there are no listings, guess what? Well, why would you prospect and go after them? Because they don't exist. It's a waste of your time. Sure, sure. Yeah, and it's, you know, it goes to really, I think, the biggest question that, that realtors are maybe asking themselves and their clients that are asking realtors is, you know, is this a healthy market? Where does this go? Are we going to see a crash? All these type of things. And I think that we have to stay focused on, um, on the truth and not just the feelings of, of, of what we're going through on a daily basis. I mean, um, I think, just to kind of give this answer to everybody listening, um, yeah. where does this market stop? Like, when do house prices stop going up? My opinion is when affordability stops, right? The yeah. prices can go as far and as high as affordability will allow. And it's really two right. major, I mean, well, there's three pieces to it, right? Um, home prices make up a part of affordability. Major one that's on the second layer in my world, interest rates. Interest rates, we've already been told, are going to be kept uh, uh, down at these very low levels through 22, I'm sorry, yeah, 22 and into 23. The Federal Reserve has told us, hey, we're not stopping buying uh, treasuries and mortgage-backed securities, basically our, our QE stuff, uh, until at the earliest, we'll look at at the end of uh, 2021, beginning of 2022. We're not actually raising our, our Fed funds rate until sometime in 2023 if everything stays on track. So, you know, where I'm looking at this is we are in this type of market for the next 12 to 18 months. That's, yeah. that's what I see. Tell them, tell them a little bit about, about what that means, uh, you know, what you just said, okay, about the Treasury and so forth, just so they understand what that means. Why is that important and how does that keep rates low? Okay, so the, the QE stuff specifically where – the Federal Reserve is out there in the, in the open market buying uh, treasuries and mortgage-backed securities. And it's funny, it's interesting. They've said that they're buying $100 billion per month on average of those, of those products. It's supposed to be $60 billion of treasuries, $40 billion of mortgages. The reality is they're buying far, far more. They're buying upwards of $120 billion of mortgages alone. And, and by acting as this, this gorilla of a buyer in the marketplace, buying every mortgage or you know, the bulk of mortgages that are being created, they're forcing the price down for mortgages because of that increased competition. Imagine if you had, <clears throat> yeah, if, if you have a buyer, or, uh, I'm trying to think of the right analogy here. Um, you have somebody willing to, to clean your house, right? And they just keep competing to compete your house. You have three people competing for it, and they're, I'll pay, you could pay me $20, you could pay me $10, you could pay me $5. And that's effectively what the Federal Reserve has done, because they've bought every bit of supply. And so in order to compete for it, people have to be willing to take less and less sort of interest margin on those, loan, uh, on, on those um, uh, securities. So uh, this is forcing interest rates down in really the largest way that, I, that I'm looking at. I mean, they're really putting their foot on the gas pedal. And they basically have said, we're going to keep doing this until, 
until the markets stabilize in regards to uh, unemployment and and uh, the footing of the economy because we do have and what the Federal Reserve is saying they're looking at it as we've got some parts of the economy doing amazing and we have other parts of the economy doing the worst ever going out of business and really really struggling and until that gets on sort of a, a more level playing field a more healthy uh, balance they're gonna they're gonna continue to support because and why they think they can do that is because they believe inflation's under control. Now, they have said, and this is this is the one sort of scary thing that's out there hiding in the shadows, is is will do they really have inflation under control? We all have seen or are seeing and expect to see more inflation in our numbers. You know, you see the price of lumber, you see the price of steel, you see the price of you know, Clorox bleach, everything out there, there's been, um, there's been an increase in the cost of producing that and an, uh, and an increased cost to the consumer. That is effectively inflation, right? And so we're, we're seeing some hot reads where the, the Federal Reserve has said we want um, inflation to run about 2%. The last reading was 2.4, and I, I believe in about a week and a half, two weeks, uh, we're going to get the next reading, which is going to be even higher, maybe as, as much as 2.7%. That's way higher than what they want. Normally, they'd be scared of that, but what they're looking at is it's transitory. There's been disruptions to the supply of things, um, you know, not enough workers, factories being shut down for COVID, different things like this, interrupting the, the core supply into the economy of certain items, which is feeding inflation in a temporary, in a passing manner. Um, and so they are not worried about inflation sticking there. They expect it to rise and then settle back uh, towards their range. And so they're very comfortable keeping their foot on the gas pedal until, until this economy really gets, gets chugging again. The same thing is happening in Europe. They're, buy, they're buying their own tre- uh, their version of treasuries um, in the ECB. Um, and, and so it's happening sort of around the world to, to kind of stabilize and support this marketplace. So nice. pulling this back to housing, it's just going to mean that we're going to have sort of a new normal when it comes to interest rate. The, day, the days of you seeing 6% interest rates, you may never see them again. Right. Okay, but That's great. I mean, there's nothing on the radar that, that kind of says that we'll ever do that. Generally, uh, and this is kind of a hidden, hidden truth in, in economics, that the more debt a society holds, the lower their interest rates go to be able to support that debt. So as the U.S., uh, and, and every other country this has, done, has been, happened in uh, has been this result. The more debt we take on, the lower interest rates have to go to be able to support that. And you actually see interest rates fall instead of rise. And uh, it's a little bit counterintuitive, but it actually is, is what, what history has taught us um, in watching this in Japan and in other places around the world. But um, we can expect that. And so this, is, this new level of affordability in our housing market is probably here to stay. Now, let me give one more, and I know I'm running on here, yeah. but um, no problem. where are interest rates going this year? My guess, in my opinion, is, is that we're going to see interest rates kind of peak out in the middle threes, three and a half, three, seven, five. That's probably the peak we're going to see in, in 2021. Um, they, they ran about call it a half percent um, from the beginning of the year, uh, just prior to the election, after, to the, after the election. Um, they ran a little bit up. 
they've now settled back and are coming off of that peak a bit. So you've seen them uh, come back down and and we may be here for a little bit, but I think that next inflation report is going to scare them a little bit and, and probably push us up another little notch. But that's my expectation. And if you look at it in a historical lens, three and a half, three, seven, five, four percent is a half of the historical average yeah. 30 oh, yeah. fixed interest rate, well, which is up near 8%. It's like when you spoke of success series, you know, you, you told them that in the history of uh, mortgages, there's never been a time where you take a mortgage and uh, oh, yeah. a 30-year mortgage and immediately, you know, 45% of your payment goes to principal where it's usually like 10%, you know, for right. the first few years. Yeah. That's, that's incredible. The, the, the math so you have, is amazing for people. Yeah. Yeah, so you, so and you that, have that's people still property. Yeah. Well, you have properties appreciating and you're paying them down faster. So it's a super, you know, and, you know, people are, you know, people try to compare this. You know, as, as VP of sales for the company, I get all kinds of marketing stuff and, and sales training. And, and I'm getting these on, you know, learn how to work with REOs because they're coming. Uh, become a mm-hmm. short, short sales specialist. And I laugh and I'm like, wow, selling fear uh, is always something that you try to do. But what people – you know, it's such a big difference compared to that market. And we could go on and on. Yeah. But, you know, there's, there's a third of this market, pretty much, what, 28, 30% of this market is buying cash, sometimes more. In, I think in California, it's even a little bit yeah, more. Yeah, it's really That's picked up. crazy. Look at the stats. Yeah. Yeah. Not, not as bad as what we saw, you know, or not as good as, as what we saw in, say, 2010, uh, where right. they were upwards of 50% of the transactions were coming in as cash. But even at these elevated price points, you have cash coming off yeah. the sidelines, taking an even larger uh, portion of the marketplace than we saw two years ago. And it's really, you know, I think it's as they see the prices start to run, um, it, 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 it feeds on itself. And that, that goes to one of the, the sort of, I think, truths in our humanity is when rates fall, people buy and sell and they move, right? Uh, when rates go up. They do the same thing. They buy and sell because they don't want to miss out on the opportunities. Fear of loss right. and losing out is a huge motivator. It's only when they're flat and they don't move at all that people become complacent and, and kind of stuck in place ultimately. Um, it, it's, it's anytime we have movement in either direction, there are people sort of taking sides on, on what is good for them to do. They, they look to make decisions. And that's, that's where we're at in this market. You've got as realtors and as lenders, we have a population of people looking to make decisions. And so if you have good conversations with them about real estate and about what they want for themselves in their homes and in their investments, that sort of thing, you'll find your opportunities. Yeah. Yeah, we have never had this many transactions. We're going to set all kinds of records this year. I go, you know, listen, I used to say things like, unless something crazy happens. Well, something crazy happened a year ago, but, I mean, we still kept on rocking. This year, unless a meteor or something hits the planet, (laughs) you know, this market is going to, right? Unless something crazy, because we've already had the pandemic, and, you know, uh, we, um, you know, this market's going to be incredible, and I believe we're going to keep setting records. Look, we, I mean, one of the reasons, the other thing is, is we haven't mentioned this yet, is, um, you know, like in 2005 and six, builders overbuilt the market. Well, now, yeah. because of that, they've actually underbuilt the market, 
So your resale and everything else is always going to be uh, cranking yeah. because the, it, it, it's like diamonds. You know, that's why they're expensive. There's only so many of them. For well, 15 the years, we, we didn't build enough homes to support right. the, the growing population. And now we've got it exacerbated by supply issues where right. even if they wanted to potentially build more homes, the expense is way up because there's uh, issues with lumber supply and different right. um, metals. So that's further exacerbating um, this shortfall that we have and is pushing up prices um, to, to basically new highs. Yeah, crazy. It's crazy. Yep. And it's great. So, yep. but, but like you said, the market is just – this is just the market, just the way it is right now, and there are – listings out there plus here's the next wave you know I, I think a lot of this is because of what we just mentioned with the builders and the inventory but we've also got millennials out there now believing this is you know it, especially in nevada and arizona where you can still buy for the same or less than renting it's at least the mm -hmm. same where in california you can't do that uh so all three markets have unique situations california more people are listening so that's going to solve that inventory problem a little bit all right and Arizona and, Cal and Nevada, well, the reason, is that people, the reason it's appreciating so much is the buyers that are, are coming from areas that their houses are worth a heck of a lot more. So they seem like a deal. Sure. And so that's going to self-perpetuate even further and even more. And who knows? Okay, if we look at the market historically, and I'm going to make a bold statement here, John, okay? Mm -hmm. This could be the one time that it doesn't follow the, the trend, but the last three trends have been the same, okay? And the market tanks, it goes up, it meets the value, and it goes 35 to 50%, sometimes more. So if that happens, we just started in the appreciation, right? But, and then it tanks again. I'm not sure because of a lot of the things you just mentioned. This market, it's very possible. It could go to a certain level, level off for a while, and we could have 3 to 5% you know, appreciation for years. Who knows? That's possible. Never seen that before. And you know what? That's, that's, that's an area that, that I think we, we have to kind of highlight in our conversations with people is that the, uh, <clears throat> it's not true that the only options are prices are going up or prices are going down. There's the third right. option. Prices can hold yeah. steady and, and stabilize and just go sideways right. for a period of time. It is actually Good. uncommon for prices to fall. That's the least common answer. Yeah. And, and the last two times have been major crises fueled by greed, mismanagement, and the government's partially to blame for this too, right? So, um, yeah. you know, and I, and I see a little greed going on right now, but that means, you know, like uh, commission cutting's big out there right now. Um, you know, sure. loyalty to your agent. And, and everybody on the call today, you have to understand that. I'm going to say this again and irritate a lot of people. But I, I'm going to say it anyway. If you're working with a buyer without a buyer broker agreement and you get stuffed, it's your, your fault, not theirs. And if they won't sign one, there's your answer. Yep. Okay, so, um, I mean, buyers and it's not, are not And it's not even because you're doing a bad job. Right. No, it's because they, you have they to get, get frustrated. Them to and I'm having some of these conversations, or I'm seeing it, where where there is this thought process, and maybe it's something we need to sort of be countering or at least discussing, is I have buyers that come to me from one realtor, and, and they're, they're shopping for a little bit, and they're not getting what they want, and then they're getting frustrated, and they start looking at you as the realtor as being the issue. And, and then they make choices. They, they say, oh, you know what? I'm just going to go to the listing agent. 
and I'll ask them to write my offer up, and maybe that will incentivize and improve my chances there. Or maybe you're the reason I'm not getting offers and I'm not seeing all the houses that are out there, this sort of thing. I think it's in, in every realtor's interest right now to be discussing those sort of feelings in advance and, and getting ahead of it so that they can – so they don't place sort of blame and, re, and sort of responsibility with you as, as their realtor. You know, you don't want to be the, the, the first realtor that works with the buyer. You want to, work with, you want to be the last realtor they work with, right? Because that's right. the one that got the deal. And, right. and so you've got to, you've got to lay that groundwork because buyer fatigue and buyer frustration is real right now. Um, and it is not – it is something unfair to you guys. You know, besides the other issues of, yeah, commission competition and builders cutting, starting to cut you guys out now again. And, oh. and, and they always cut us out as lenders. If I'm not the builder's lender, I'm always cut out, right? But you see that now they don't feel like they need you guys as much. But um, I think having, uh, having these conversations, making sure that you're staying in tune with what is my buyer's viewpoint about this uh, process and how can I can – I, sort of keep them focused on where we need to be focused on needs to be part of your toolkit right now. Right. Totally agree. Absolutely. And, uh, okay. So we, we've given them, uh, Oh, well, let's, let's talk a little about, I know you gave them, um, uh, a prediction on race, but where are they at right now? Um, government loans like FHA, VA, upper twos, uh, conventional loans, lower threes. So you're looking like 3.1, 3%, that sort of thing on a primary residence. Um, I will say this just because maybe, maybe you know, our realtors are not as aware of this, but one big sort of fear or, or um, worry that I have about our marketplace is the politicians tinkering with the mortgage market too much. Um, mm. they're, they're using the Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac as this political football where you know, there's different agendas involved and, and they're shoving those companies this way or that. And it's affecting and it can affect um, real estate in a really broad way. If we are going to mess this up in some way, I feel like it's going to be those guys that are going to do it to us. The the most of course, it always examples, is. Yeah, right. I mean, it's, I'm here from the government. I'm here to help, right? Um, <clears throat> but um, um, one of the things they're messing with right now is second homes and investment properties. You've seen rates on those get pushed up, which in a way, um, I mean, has a, has a secondary benefit as far as the more people we can um, – well, I'm sorry. One of the healthier aspects of this market is that the predominant buyer is a primary residence buyer. It's something in the neighborhood right. of 80% of all the deals that are, being, that are being done are for primary residences. So that's a very right. healthy pl- place in the marketplace. But they're, they're worsening it. On uh, at this point on second homes and investment properties, due to political uh, political agenda tinkering. Um, then you have the other side. You have you know uh, that was uh, yeah. I'm not going to go political, but there's another side that's out there tinkering with down payment assistance or tax credits. Um, there's a proposal out right. there for twenty five thousand dollars. They made this box so narrow um, that it's going to help that's very, the new- very few people. Isn't that the one that they're pushing as the Biden plan? I, I, think, I think I saw that somewhere. Technically, the Biden plan is a $15,000 tax credit that is okay. more traditional in its approach. The $25,000 tax credit was initially 
labeled as a Biden plan, but was actually not. It was one of the more liberal uh, um, uh, Democrats in the House have come up with this. And it basically has um, a few layers to it. You have to be low income. You have to be a first time home buyer and your parents need to have not owned a home, which was very interesting, uh, unless right. they lost it to foreclosure. So if your parents owned a home but did good on it, you're not eligible. If your parents owned a home and lost it to foreclosure, you are eligible. What kind of thinking is yeah. that? I, I, don't, I don't understand yeah. why one is better than the other. Like if your parents knew how to manage their finances, they, you're, you're, you don't get the money. That's not good. Right? It, just, it seems to be that's, putting in a real backwards place. That's a typical political uh, to make them look good, but really not be able to use it. Right. It, that one, I don't think there's any chance of going anywhere. Um, yeah. The $15,000 one as part of the Biden plan, you, we may see that, right, uh, in some version, yeah. and we'll see what actually comes out. There's still nothing is close to really being passed yet, so there's a lot that could happen between now and then. I think at the end of the day, though, we have to be really careful in incentivizing further uh, – further buyers, incentivizing the buyers in the marketplace, because we don't have a shortage of buyers. There's plenty of mm. people that want to buy. We have a shortage of inventory. And so I'd really love them to be incentivizing the building of, of affordable homes and, and, and put, the, put the money there um, so that, A, we can provide affordable housing for those people that that make the median income in the area. Um, in, in Vegas, in our area, it's roughly $58,000 um, is, is the area median income. And that's tough. I mean, that's two people working, making $58,000. That's, that's, you know, that's not a lot. And so as home mm -hmm. prices get pushed up, there'll be a segment of the marketplace that uh, can be left behind. And so if we could help with that, I'm all in. You know, multifamily housing, more townhomes, more, um, uh, yeah, I guess, safe sure. condominiums, that sort of thing. All right. Well, I got, we got four minutes left. And I got to ask this question. Okay. So okay. I'm, a, I'm, an, I'm working with buyers today and I don't have cash. How do I give them a couple ideas to make their uh, offers better and what should they be considering? Um, well, there's, there's a couple of things there. I, I love your guys' new Apex program that you've rolled out. Yes. Uh, I think that's yep. a really smart solution. If they don't know about that, they should definitely look into it. Um, definitely. From my side of things, um, we need to make sure buyers are aware of uh, the recasting option that we offer. Recasting is, is for those buyers that have um, the ability to buy a new house, afford the new house and their existing house at the same time so they can afford to make both payments and they have enough money to do a small down payment on the new house. So what does that fix? It allows you to go buy the new house and sell your old house afterwards so that you're avoiding moving twice. And then once the old house is sold, you have this chunk of cash, right? You have this 300000 whatever, however much money. You can bring that money forward into the new mortgage, pay the balance down, and we will eliminate your mortgage insurance and we'll recalculate your house payment to the new lower loan balance so that you have the long-term loan that you wanted without having to wait and, and put your sort of ducks in an order here. Um, you can get off of the fence. You can buy um, now and sell later and, and make that happen. So that's what your buyers who have some, some decent financial strength. And then 
That's great. Beyond those scenarios, you might look at um, a couple of things. One, uh, Axie is now offering our, our $10,000 seller guarantee, which basically says if your buyer goes through our, our full credit approval, meaning we've t- sent you through underwriting, we've got you fully approved, um, you go through that process, we will guarantee the seller, meaning we will actually sign almost a contract with the seller that says if this buyer does not close due to the financing, we're going to write you a check for ten grand. Right. So other than other than you uh, paying cash, that's as solid a financing as you can get. Right. And then the other things that we can do um, or that we're using in this market is is simply trying to improve your contingencies. Right. How do you write a shorter appraisal contingency, a shorter finance contingency? Um, the credit approval process really helps with the, the finance contingency because you can you can write that at. 10 days if you wanted to, or five days, just enough to get the prelim and, and, and things in place. When it comes to appraisals, make sure your buyers know that they can pay for rush appraisals. We can offer the, the appraiser more money to do that job faster. And so instead of writing a 20-day appraisal contingency, maybe you're writing a 12-day. Um, yep. You can always throw a little money at it. And then lastly, um, I think when it comes to competing on price, I think more agents should be looking at – Offering to pay the seller's closing costs or some portion of it rather than continuing to crank up the, the price of the house, right? So when we, when, we, when we raise the price of our offer or the, the amount of our offer above what the appraise, uh, appraisal might support, your seller gets more and more nervous, right? We're all smart enough to know when the house is not going to appraise. And, yes, the most common tactic is to say, all right, I want, I want a, a subverbage in the contract that says you'll pay X number of dollars above the appraised value. Well, you can also work yeah. at that same sort of area by offering to pay the transfer tax, offering to pay the, the, the seller's title fees, offering to put dollars back into their pocket uh, in that way without affecting or being at risk on the appraised value. Okay. Awesome. All, right. All <laughs> tremendous ideas. All right. Awesome. Awesome. Great information, John. Really appreciate it. You know, it gives me an understanding of, uh, you know, why interest rates where they are, why they, why they should stay, how, about how long, what you can do to make your offers better. It's been cr- incredible information, John. I just want to say thank you very much. John Ingram from Action Mortgage, ladies and gentlemen. Appreciate your time, my man. Thank you very much for taking your time out. Thank you. All right, my man. All right, buddy. We'll do this game of the week. Thank you. Go out and get them. Take advantage of this awesome market. Thanks for your time. Thank you.